Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, I want to, real quick, before we jump into the message, I want to invite Cyrus up. Everybody welcome Cyrus. Say, hey, Cyrus. All right. Cyrus is helping, he does a million things, but uh, he's helping us implement the City Light Center in Uganda. And uh, over the last few weeks, there's already some wins because of this. So I wanted Cyrus just to share real quick uh, some of the things that are happening because of your generosity. So thanks for joining us, Cyrus. Well, I want to see if this mic is... Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. It is is an honor to worship with you this morning. And I just wanted to take a moment in the next couple of minutes to thank you all for the prayers and the generous giving you are providing for this local body of believers. It is Matthew 5, 16. That's the let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. The light of the gospel has blessed us tremendously here. And my family and I want to take this opportunity to say thank you to all of you who are giving because through IGI, a City Light Center is established in memory of our daughter. Mm-hmm. And the death of the daughter shouldn't be a tragedy that I have to live with day in and day out. And I have found, my wife and I, that in helping those who also have faced their own calamities, children in the Central African Republic, because we've established an orphanage in her memory called Irene's Home of Hope. But we have also realized that it is residentially only helping these few children. But now that we have turned it into a city light center, it is no longer just the children who have been blessed because of our establishment of Irene Sum of Hope. The city light center is now the overflow of the giving you have provided to us. Number one, we have a couple of pictures that I want to share with you. We want our blessing to be a feast to other children who do not have access to food. And it's a country that has been through war for the last eight years. And for us to say, not on our watch, it is simply because God says in Isaiah 68, verse 5, that he is the father to the fatherless, he is mm. the husband to the widows. And you know what he has done it? He uses the human agency, our hands, our hearts. It is making that possible. Mm. The second thing that has happened there is we wanted to strengthen the institution. This place was built back in 2008 and 2009. You walk in, it was muddy, the floor was just dirty. And to have precious children like this girl that you're looking at, you can see the bone around her neck, not having access to food. So when that donation came to us and sent already to Central African Republic, immediately we begin to bless these children and the gospel is presented. Because it is Spurgeon that said, you want to give a gospel to a homeless? Wrap it in a sandwich. So we cannot give a gospel to a child who is without food and just said, you know what, we bless you. So that's why I stand before you grateful as a father who has buried a child. And I'm not going to be the first, nor will I be the last to outlive my child. But to the extent that the local church here in the United States is saying, God, not on our watch. That is what you have done. Lastly, next month I've already purchased a ticket. I'm making a plan to go to the Central African Republic. All the renovation that is being done, the new children that are going to be cared for. I may even get to speak to some of those children in our City Life Center. I am excited to get, to get a video that I'm going to be sending to all of you to say, listen, brothers and sisters, I'm grateful for what God is doing in our lives, but we want the overflow of that to touch lives around the world through City Light. So thank you, brother, for the opportunity to say thank you all that this is what God is doing as we continue to impact precious children for Jesus' uh, glory. God Amen. You. Thank you. Thank you, Cyrus. 
Uh, what an awesome encouragement. You talk about putting your money to work. Uh, as soon as we got this thing up and going, there's uh, hungry children getting food that we're not getting food two weeks ago. So praise God for your generosity. Thank you, Cyrus, for all that you're doing. I'm glad you're uh, here today to encourage us. Uh, my name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to be able to preach with you this morning. I want to say welcome. If you have a, a, a card on your seat, we'd love for you to fill that out and get to know you a little bit better. Yesterday, I was at a flag football game for third graders. And I want to tell you that things got way more intense than they should be for a flag football game with third graders. If you can only imagine the scenes you've maybe seen in a movie, if you're a parent, you've been, we've made it through this season with relatively normal people acting in a relatively normal way. Until yesterday, when uh, they were a little too serious, thought we were playing in the Super Bowl, and this one coach started arguing with the refs, like legitimately, like arguing calls, being mad at them, just to remind you, they don't even keep score. There's not a scoreboard. Everybody's just trying to remember what score it was, you know? You just tell your team they won the game. Nobody knows. It's, it's literally the most unserious thing in the world. And they're arguing with the, the people. The guy on the sideline, his kids, one of the other team's better players. This team had been waiting to play our team. So it was actually, these, these were the two best teams in the league. So there was a little bit, you know, hey, we're going to get you. Uh, and they were mad because, I'm going to say it, we were whooping them pretty good, you know? And so there was no scoreboard, but I was counting. I was counting, especially because my son was scoring touchdowns. So I was counting how many touchdowns my son was scoring. So I, I, he, you know, some of y'all seen, he made me post a highlight reel on my Instagram for his recruiting process. So he's, he's looking forward to that. I hope Alabama hears that he wants them to know <laughs> that roll tie. There we go. We got, we got somebody. But they were, they were playing, and, and one guy started. The, one of the, the, the problem with flag football when you're kids is there's so many rules, and you can't, one of them is you can't jump. And so unless somebody dives at your feet to protect yourself, you can't jump, and you got to run. And one of the kids uh, on the other team was running to score a touchdown, and he jumped to avoid somebody pulling his flag, and the, the ref called it, and they were like, you can't jump. Sorry, they, they called the touchdown back. And that boy's dad, I tell you what, he started yelling, running is a series of small jumps. <laughs> he yelled that the whole game. Running is a series of small jumps. If you're saying we can't jump, we can't run. Running is a series of small jumps. I mean, he was going all in. I'm like, you thought this was the thesis of his life. He was committed. The gospel is the power to save souls. He was preaching it the same way. He was preaching a sermon. Running is a series of small jumps. And then parents started arguing with each other. They're yelling at each other. Bah, da, 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 da. And the other team, I'm like trying to stay out of all this. I'm like, I ain't trying to make myself look like no fool. Eventually, I'll just kind of say out loud, hey, 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 it's a flag football game for third graders. Hello, did everyone forget what was happening here? Like, y'all looking like fools. You're embarrassing yourselves. Like, let's, you're doing too much. Let's stop. We're doing too much. Let's just let the kids play. Everybody's going to go Chick-fil-A to eat some lunch, and nobody's going to worry about what happened in this game today. They were taking it way too seriously. It wasn't an appropriate intensity for the level at which the game was being played, and sometimes, though, I think we have the opposite problem in our game, so to speak, in our operation in the kingdom of God, is that we should take it way more seriously than we do. We should be much more intense about the things we are doing than we actually are. We should be much more involved in the game and the purpose of our life than we actually are. We should take it much more seriously than we actually do. In light of that, today's message is called Jesus is not a side hustle. Jesus is not a side hustle. 
It's all or nothing with Jesus. It's all or nothing with Jesus. And my hope for some of you is you've been thinking you can play the middle. And if you think you're in the middle, I just want to tell you you're on the wrong side. There's no such thing as the middle. The Bible wants to make it abundantly clear that it is black and white. There is no gray area in terms of following Jesus. There are a lot of things to learn, a lot of nuances and things you should grow in and how this works and applies in your life. But this is black and white. And in light of that, I got this little thing from, from Amazon, okay? So I really, I really want them to understand how black and white this is. And so I'm gonna wear this the rest of the sermon, all right? Look at this, look how cool this thing is. Uh, it's a little too big. So I didn't wear it all day because I look like a fool. But I'm gonna make myself look like a fool for you, okay? Y'all like my new shirt? All right, here's my new shirt. This is, the, the point of me doing this right now is so that for the next 30 minutes, you cannot get rid of the idea that this is black and white. That following Jesus is black and white. That how you use your money is black and white. And that today is not just to talk about how you live, Use your money by how you live your life and whether you are really on Jesus' side or not. Your money is going to be a great indicator as to whether you're all in with Jesus today. The Bible wants to make this black and white, clear as day, that nobody would be mistaken about whose side they're on today. Let me give you a phrase we're going to use the rest of the time. is that going in, going all in with God means going all in with all you got. Going all in with God means going all in with all that you got. And that's really the only option in following God. So go ahead and open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Let's go. We've been looking through verses 19 through 24. I'm going to start in 19 again, but we're just going to focus on 24. So it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the line for our whole series is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the eye is the lamp of the body. If, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not healthy, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So we talked about last week. And then he says today, no one can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. And at the end of the day, here it is, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot and you have to choose. So in light of that, I wanna walk you through three things. The first is this. There is no multitasking in the kingdom of God. You can write that down. I think we're having some issues on the slide, so maybe it'll pop back up. But I'll tell you when to write things down. There is no multitasking in the kingdom of God. This is point number one. No multitasking in the kingdom of God. Like I said, Jesus is not a side hustle. He requires your full devotion and attention. Now, we live in a society of multitasking. How many of you would say, I'm a great multitasker? I just can do many things at once. Okay, you a liar. Okay, I did some research. There's no such thing as multitasking. Okay, there's only switch tasking because the neuroscience shows you that your brain has to start and stop again. And when you think you're multitasking, you're really just switch tasking one to the other. There's no actual such thing. You and I literally cannot do things simultaneously at the same level. You give more of your attention to one thing than the other. 
But because we live in a world that requires us to at least think we're good at multitasking, to do many things at once, all of a sudden this becomes the way we breathe and live our life, and then we try to apply a multitasking, ultra-productivity, do-many-things-at-once type of lifestyle to our following of Jesus. We try to multitask many things in our life, Jesus being one of them instead of Jesus being the only one. This is what I mean. You can't multitask the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God requires our focus and attention on one person with one message focused on one way of life dedicated to one thing. That's what the kingdom of God requires. You cannot multitask in the kingdom of God Following Jesus requires, as we're going to see today, a single-minded devotion to God with nothing else even in your peripheral vision. And today I want to help you get rid of maybe some of the things that are distracting you from what does it look like to really follow God. Once you notice, first of all, it says here, no one can serve two masters. No one, meaning not you and not me. This is where I love, some of us think we're the exception to all the things, especially those of you who are younger think, well, they messed up for them, not gonna mess up for me. They did it, this worked out bad for them, not gonna work out bad for me. They didn't know how to do it this way, I know how to do it this way, no, 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 no. No one, not you, not me, not one of the eight billion people alive today, neither one of the people that have lived in all of time can serve two masters, can be devoted to two gods, can worship two things. No one. It is not possible, it is not in the realm of possibility, it is not an option on the table. It's not possible, you need to get that off of your thought because this is how the passage is working. Remember, we've already worked through some of it. You cannot store up treasures in heaven while also storing up treasures on earth. You have to choose. They're opposite things. You can't do both simultaneously. You can't multitask and give equal weight and effort to storing up treasures in heaven and storing up treasures on earth. You are either storing up treasures on earth or you are either storing up treasures on heaven. Either way, you have to choose. Remember the next part of the passage. You cannot be filled with light of heaven, the light of heaven, and also have your eyes fixed on the darkness of earth. You have to choose. And he says here, he finally says, you cannot serve God and money. You have to choose. We're going to see later, especially in these next couple of weeks, the last verse of this chapter is one that's maybe more famous for some of you who know the Bible. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these things, every other thing in life that you need, it says, will be added unto you. But this is a big order. Seek first the kingdom of God. Be single-minded, devoted to Jesus. Trust and follow him with everything that you have, and the Lord will take care of everything else. Your one responsibility is to give God all you got. That's what he requires of you. God does the rest. You have to give God all you got. You cannot choose. There is no middle ground. And this is true in our entire walk of following Jesus. And some of you, maybe the Lord's trying to reveal to you, you're trying to stand in the middle. And the middle is a very dangerous place because the middle means you're in the darkness. There is no middle. And the Lord's trying to reveal that to you today so that you can know where you're really at and follow Jesus. And he's gonna use our money to do that because here's the truth that Jesus has been pointing out this whole time. Your money reveals your master. Your money reveals your master. 
Your money reveals who you really trust. Your money reveals who you're really following. Your money reveals what you really believe in. Your money reveals who you really obey. Your money reveals what you really worship. And you can say an awful lot of things about what you worship or who you worship or what kind of person you want to be or the way of life that you want to live to follow Jesus, but your bank account and the way you use your material resources will speak louder than your words. Your money reveals your master, not your words. And some of us have fooled ourselves with our words, and if we just followed the money like we talked about a couple weeks ago, we would find that our heart is more devoted to the world than to God. This is very important. And having, it says here, right, you can't serve two masters. I want you to understand, having two masters, once again, it's not multitasking. It's not like having two jobs. Some of you are so used to, I got two jobs, I got three jobs, I got four jobs, I'm just boom, 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 boom. You know, it's the area of the side hustle, this is how this all works. Having two masters is not like having two jobs. It's not like being dedicated to two different things. Two masters, this is it's a comparison to slavery. You are owned by one. You cannot be owned by two masters. You cannot be totally devoted to two masters. It's not like having two jobs. And what you need to realize is the way you're using your money is revealing who your master is, and you can only have one master. Now, although there are complex and nuanced issues in life, I just want to say again, this is not one of them. God's aim here is to make it black and white. No gray, no nuance, it's not complicated, it's plain and simple. You either serve God with your money, or you serve yourself with your money. You either worship God and your money reveals that or you worship the world and your money reveals that. And you know, it's just our nature to want to squirm out of these things and be like, well, how much do I have to give to reveal that I worship God? Or if I, you know, all these things, which once again, just to remind you, sermon question and answer, I'd be happy to apply these things to your regular life. You can email some questions in response to the sermon. But the, the point of this passage is to really shove us down this narrow road to remember that it really isn't that complicated. You either love God or you love the world. Look, the Bible does this over and over again. This is not me being too hard on you. Let me, let me show you some more scriptures. 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Why? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you ever read the Bible and just get terrified for a second to think, You ever let the Bible do that to you? To be like, if you love the world, the love of God is not in you. And just think, God, do I love the world? Do I love the world? You know what? And obviously, the grace of God and the goodness of the gospel should come rushing in to affirm and give you assurance if you really are in love with God. Obviously, we're not going to do this perfectly. But the point of it is to hit hard. If you love the world, the love of God is not in you. And so discerning whether you love the world is one of the most important things you could ever do. And the way you can discern whether you love the world is how do you use your material possessions? See how this goes? Do I love the world? Because if I love the world, God's love isn't in me. And if God's love isn't in me, I don't have an eternity with him. I don't have it. So how do I know if I love the world? And the Bible says you can follow your money. And it's going to give you a good idea. What does the rest of the passage say? All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life, the desires of the eyes, they're not from the Father but from the world. They're in opposition to one another. James 4.4, how about this one? Remember, the Bible makes it black and white, not me. 
James 4, 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's not like a whoopsie, like a small mistake. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. You can't be friends with both. You can't love both. You can't serve both. You can't obey both. And if you are a friend of the world, the Bible's just saying it plain and clear, you are an enemy of God. So once again, I should consider, man, am I, I don't want to be an enemy of God. Am I a friend of the world? How do I know if I'm a friend of the world? How do I know? Is it just because I professed something? I came down to the altar one time. I said something I should say. I look at my life and I say, I look at how I spend. I look at my life and I begin to think, does the way I use what God has given me, does it show me that I'm a friend of the world or does it show me that I'm a friend of God? You cannot be a friend of the world and a friend of God at the same time. If you wish to be a friend of the world, you're gonna make yourself an enemy of God. Remember how we said before, money is a mirror. Money is a mirror. And all it does is reveal to you who you really are. It reveals to me who I really am and what I really love. Like the word said before, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money is a mirror. It's neutral, remember? Money is not good or bad. It's a thing. It's neutral. How you use it determines whether it's being good or bad with you. And it's just revealing back to you who you really are. And like we said before, self-awareness is a superpower. And some of us need to be more aware of, number one, where we really stand with God. And then the second thing is whether our relationship with God is going well, whether it's growing or whether it's not. And your money, I'm just telling you, money is a mirror. And how you're spending your money is going to be a great indicator of how your relationship with God is. And it really is that simple. Now, so in light of that, I just wanted to put the weight of the, the word of God on us for us to really deal with it. Now we have to ask a question in our lives. Does my use of money and material possessions, does it reveal a love for God or a love for the world? It's just a question you need to consider in your life, with your spouse, with your friends, in your lighthouse, with the Lord, by yourself. You, you really need to ask this question. Does my use of money and material possessions, what does it tell me? What, what secret is it unveiling to me? Does it, does it reveal to me that I love God or does it reveal to me that I might love the world? And then from that place of answering that question, then you can begin to make some spiritual progress. Because you can't serve God in the world. Why can't I serve God in the world? Why can't I love God in the world? Well, it's, it's very simple. They ask you to do opposite things. You can't go left and go right at the same time. Here's something for you to understand your, your heart. You'll know. If you love money, you will hate what God asks you to do with it. That's that, you'll know right now in your heart. If you love money, you will hate what God asks you to do with it. You will hate messages on generosity. You will hate parts of the Bible that make this so clear and leave no wiggle room. That just say, you'll hate it. You'll begrudge it. You'll do it out of obligation. You'll do it through gritted teeth. If you, that's how you know, that's one of the ways you'll know. Do I love money? Well, if you love money, you're going to hate what God tells you to do with it. But if you love God, then you're going to be happy to do it. Even if it takes some discipline, some trust, it doesn't mean you're just willy-nilly all the time. Oh, I just love giving all my money away, you know. 
maybe, maybe we can get there. I know people that are like that. But to say, I do trust God, and I want to do what he wants me to do with it. If you love money, you will hate what God asks you to do with it. You can't love God and the world because they ask you to do opposite things. And this is black and white. You cannot increase in love for God and increase in love for money. What does the Bible say? You will hate the one and love the other. So you, I'm going to say it. The Bible's saying if you love money, you hate God. That's just, if you love the one, you'll hate the other. We like to think, why? Well, loving money is just one of my things. You know, whoops. It's one of my struggles, you know? And there, obviously there's, once again, there's a degree of sanctification to say you might be trying to grow out of your love for money, you know? And I'm, not, I'm not saying anybody in the room, any Christian in the room especially, is like perfectly disconnected from the love of money, right? I'm not saying that that's the case. We're, we're, we're gonna struggle with all sorts of temptations and sin. But you know, though, you know, whether this is all-consuming in your life or not, if you really love money and your whole life is revolved around that, the, the only option with that is to hate God. You, you can't love money and love God. If you're really devoted to money, to making as much money as you can for your own personal interest, obviously, and many of you are, have the great abilities to make large, large amounts of money, and praise God, and you can do that to the glory of God and be very generous with it. It's not wrong to make a lot of money. But if you are devoted to that as your single life purpose, as the greatest thing you could accomplish, then you will by necessity despise God. It's just black and white. Now, I had actually bought, a, it's called a scale of justice. You guys seen these before? You know, it's a, it's a measuring thing, all right? And... I'm just going to be honest with you. I had a great illustration plan to show you. If one goes down, the other goes up, you know. So I bought one on Amazon, and I tried it, and I realized that it was made for jewelry, and they don't go down and up. They just stay the same no matter what you put in them. It's for looks. <laughs> so my sermon moment died. All I have left with is this shirt. That's all I have left. I had two object lessons, and, and one struck out, and I have one. And this might be striking out, too. I don't know. But I want you to have that visual in your mind. If, if I put weight on one end, the, they, they, they don't ever balance out. If one gets more weight, the other goes up, and they do like this. So this is how it is with the love of money and God. If you love God a lot, if you're growing in love for God, you will decrease in love for money. The love of God will make that happen. If you're growing in love for money, then you'll decrease in love for God. They just, they do this. You, you can't increase in both. Once again, it's black and white. And like the old saying goes, but this is how we wish life was, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You just can't have everything that you want in the sense where I'd like to follow Jesus and have all these wonderful things happen to me. I'd like to be able to have the world and Jesus too. It's just not an option. And here's the reason for this, and it really boils down to this, and this is one of the main thoughts of the message today, is you can only love one thing the most. You can only love one thing the most. You may be able to love many things, but you can only love one thing the most. And following God requires that we would love him 
the most. You can only love one thing the most. So, okay, that's, that's the first reality, right? You can't multitask in the kingdom of God. And some of you, maybe the Lord's calling you out to say, you're trying to love God and other things equally. And, it, and the Bible says that means you hate God. And you've never even, never even thought to deal with that reality that might be true in your heart. To say, wow, I, I, I want the word of God to do that work, you know, like a sword, like a to do some surgery, to say, uh, you need to be more aware of your spiritual condition than you are right now. It's much worse than you thought. You can't love God and other things. You have to love him most. And in God's grace, Jesus came and he died for our sins because we don't love God like we should. And he offers you forgiveness and mercy and grace right now just as much as he would ever ever yesterday or in the future. God is meeting you in that place to say you maybe ought to feel a high degree of conviction and maybe you might become aware that you're not even a Christian in the first place, which is actually a great place to become aware of because God's grace is just waiting for you. God's not looking at you like, you're such a mess up, how could you do this? You, you love the world and you hate me and I hate you so much. That's not what God says. God says, you're hating me but I had never stopped loving you. That's the gospel. But you're not gonna be able to receive God's love until you actually realize how much you might not love him. You you gotta stop pretending. Just be like, no, this is real. My heart's not right. And in that place of great conviction and sorrow, the Lord meets you with grace and mercy and kindness. He died for that sin and all the other ones too. And he wants to meet you in that place and maybe save you today when you didn't even know you needed saving. I want you to be open to that. You can only love one thing the most. So the Bible's very clear, this is black and white. So you have to choose. So there's no multitasking in the kingdom of God, you have to choose. And now the Bible gives us two options. You have two masters, you know, money or God. So I just wanna help you choose. You may think this is an obvious choice, maybe some of you don't. Maybe some of you, you're not Christians, you're not, you're not automatically assuming God's the best choice, all right? So I wanna help you realize uh, why you should make the choice of God. So then my next point, point two is very simple. Money is a terrible master. Money's a terrible man. You see, you have to choose one. That's my first step of the message. To get you to know you gotta choose one. And now I wanna help you know that money's a bad choice. A bad choice of a master, a terrible master. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth and his income. This is vanity. When goods increase, they increase those who eat them. And every parent said, amen, amen, amen. Been to the grocery store five times this week, you know. What advantage has their owner, it says, but to see them with his eyes? Because they just go away. Sweet, listen to this. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Ooh, money, ooh. Money is a bad master. It overpromises and underdelivers. Or like the great rapper said, mo money, mo problems. Okay? That's a bad master. Let me give you an example. Let me tell you a story. William, his name is William Bud Post. What a name. He won the lottery in 1988, and he died broke in 2006. So what happened to Bud? Well, 
He won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery. He proceeded to spend it on houses, cars, boats, an unsuccessful family company, and even a twin-engine airplane, even though he didn't have a pilot's license. Just thought it would look nice in the airport with his name on it, I guess. Within one year, he was a million dollars in debt. He had just won $16 million. So the government takes half of that, right? So $8 million. Within one year, he was a million dollars in debt. Get this. His former, girl, his former girlfriend successfully sued him for part of the winnings. Former girl? They weren't even married. And his brother tried to hire a hitman to kill him. This is the story of William Bud Post. I want to encourage you not to be like William Bud Post. Money is a bad master. You see what happened? He got a lot of money, and he was worse off because of it. He was better when he had less money. Money is a bad master. It left him worse than how he found them. Once again, more money, more problems. Now, money is a terrible master, but let me tell you something. God is a great savior. Money is a terrible master, but God is a great savior. Money leaves you empty no matter how much you spend, but Jesus always leaves you full. Can I get an amen? amen. I need y'all to talk some back now. Money wants more from you, but Jesus always wants to give more to you. Come on now, let's keep it going. Money provides temporarily, but Jesus provides eternally. That's good. Money will kill your soul, but Jesus died to save your soul. Money is a terrible master, but God's a great savior. God wants you to put his trust, your trust in him today. If you haven't done that before, Jesus died on a cross and rose again to save you not only from the destruction of money, but every destructive path. And he's offering you salvation in his name today. And for many of you, God is calling you to return to your original love, to stop putting yourself under the ownership of a terrible master who's only causing you harm. Your love of money is hurting you. Your greed is destroying your life. Your love for material possessions is taking away your soul. It's leaving you empty. And the Lord wants to deliver you. This is a deliverance ministry this morning. God wants to set you free from something that's holding you captive. Money is a terrible master, but God is a great savior. And if you can only choose one, I think the choice is pretty obvious. Choose God. In light of that, how do you do that now? How, if that's true, you can only choose one, and money seems to be a bad option, and God's the other option. How, how do I actually walk in this? Well, here's the third thing for you as we begin to close our time out, is that generosity is the path to freedom. So if you're under the captivity of the master of money, and if you were honest with yourself and say, man, my, the way I use my money would tell me I probably love the world, and I want to walk out from under my slavery. I want to run away from my slavery. I want to be released from my captivity. Some of you, it's the very first time, and you need to put your trust in Jesus Christ, that he died and rose again for your sins, that if you would believe in him and give your life to him, not part of your life, not part of your heart, but everything to him, he would return everything back to you, and he would release you and set you free, not only for now, but for eternity. You need to trust in Jesus. For many of you, you need to start acting like you trust in Jesus. You say you trust in Jesus, 
And now you want to, you need to act, you need to live in line with that. Generosity is the path to freedom. To say, man, I want to be free from this. I want to be free. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to be free. You got to be free. Come on. We need, we need some freedom in this place today, okay? Stop <laughs> acting like everybody does the right thing with their money. You need freedom. You need freedom. I want to help you find freedom this morning. Let me give you another example. John Rockefeller, everybody knows John Rockefeller. He was the world's only billionaire at the age of 53. He earned about a million dollars a week, which is good money. I think mean, that's pretty decent, you know. I probably could feed my family at least with that much money. But the interesting thing about John Rockefeller was that he was sick and he lived on crackers and milk and he could not sleep because he was so worried all the time. So he had all the money in the world, but he was sick and he lived on crackers and milk. Why? Well, because the money gave him worries. Listen to this. When he started to give his money away, his health dramatically changed and he lived till he was 98. And I don't even know. It doesn't even say anything about Jesus in here. The principle, I don't even know where he's still with God. The, the principle is that generosity, God has set up in the world. The way it works is that generosity will set you free. It'll set you free. And you are empowered to be generous from God's perspective, by understanding how generous God has been with you. Money was weighing him down until he started to give it away, and maybe it's been weighing you down as well. Here's something you need to understand. You cannot serve God and money, but you can serve God with money. You cannot serve God and money, but this doesn't mean your money is useless. You can serve God with money. You just gotta change one preposition, all right, to all my English people out there, one preposition. You cannot serve God and money, but you can serve God with money. And God wants you to know to set it up for you to say, here's how you set free from this, especially where we live and the, the way it kills our souls is you start being generous. You can't serve God and money, but you can serve God with money. You can use money for its right purpose like we've been talking about all along. A great phrase from the book is called The Treasure Principle. I highly recommend it. It's by Randy Alcorn. It's, once again, I only recommend short books. It's like this big, okay? You can read it, I promise. You can promise you. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Meaning, you need to store up treasures in heaven. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on. You can use it for its right purpose. Here's something I want you to understand for you in your own soul, especially as a believer in Christ, those of you who are, that generosity helps prevent idolatry. It helps prevent idolatry. So if idolatry kills your soul and generosity helps prevent idolatry, then generosity is like taking preventative medicine. It keeps you from getting to the place where you're destroyed. It's preventative. Not only does it set you free now, but it prevents what could be worse later. As you start acting in generosity, it prevents the idolatry, the idolatry of money, the idolatry of more, the idolatry of trusting in your funds rather than God. Generosity helps prevent idolatry. You cannot serve God and money, but you can serve God with your money. Money should not be telling you what to do, but you should be telling money what to do. You need to be its master by the power of God. And ultimately, this is the gospel, as we talked about over and over again. We become a generous people by we understand and look at a generous God. It is God's generosity that allows us to worship him and allows us to be free from sin. It's God's generosity to you that fills you up, that frees you, that gives you eternal life. And then it's our generosity to others that magnifies our experience of God's generosity. And you say, I want to feel loved by God? Well, start being generous, and your heart's going to find the generosity of God comes more and more alive to you. 
I want to feel more in touch with God, we'll start being more generous and you'll start enjoying God's heart for others as well. When you and I start living out the way God lives, then we experience the truth applied to us more. And God is a generous God. And as we live out in generosity, we'll be able to enjoy what he's done for us more and more and more. As we said before, going in with God requires going in with all you got. Jesus is not a side hustle. So I'm gonna call the band up now. We're gonna close out our time. And over these next couple weeks, so next week after Thanksgiving, uh, and then the next Sunday after that, we're gonna be talking very specifically about how you can apply these truths and act on them in your life. And so over the next two weeks, we're talking about what it like to seek first the kingdom of God and how does that look at City Light? And so as you said before, like the Lord's given us the grace to buy the building and to be able to start to do lots of things with it, to serve our community, to use this space to accelerate the mission of God, to provide for places like Uganda. It's the money that we give that feeds the child. You have to always connect these things. And so over the next two weeks, uh, next week you're gonna get a sample commitment card to be praying about. And then the week after that on December 3rd, we're gonna go over what does it look like to commit for the next two years to what God's doing, to how we can continue to serve more, to help people more, to use this building in a, in a way that's really helpful to other people. And so I just want you to take all this truth applied to your life, and now as a church, we wanna give you an outlet for practicing that, an outlet for you to find freedom, an outlet for you to begin to align your life with who God is and what God does. And so you, your family, whoever it is in your circle, need to be praying over this, and over the next two weeks, we'll be very specific about what it looks like to do this together and to be set free as a congregation together, not only from our own struggles to love and serve God, but also to help many others set free from their own as well. Everybody good? Amen, we ready to go? All right, all right, praise the Lord. Let me pray, and we will uh, respond to God. God, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your generosity to us. I just pray, Lord, um, that this is, Ephesians 1 says the spirit of wisdom and revelation will give us eyes to see, the heart, the eyes to see who God really is. I just pray you would do that this morning. I pray for wisdom and understanding. I pray for a spirit of surrender in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would take the truths of your word, that they would sink into our hearts, and that they would be lived out in our real lives. So would you take what you're doing today and would you transform us as your people and would you save anyone here or watching online who doesn't know you yet? Call them to yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I mean, I'm gonna ask you to stand up now and to open up a time of response to God. We'll have a prayer team down front. Uh, we're gonna be singing about surrendering to God. And so if you find this is an area of your life, you really just wanna surrender to God. Once again, we can't come in here and have any facade and act like everything's fine when it's not. You can come down to the altar and kneel. You can come get prayer. But let's all find a way to respond to God. And sometimes the best way to respond is just to move and to mark a moment with him. Uh, and to ask the Lord to really help you surrender and to find freedom this morning and to release these things over to God. So we're gonna sing. We'll have a prayer team here. And I encourage each one of you to respond to God as he leads you. 